You're listening to A Call to Lead, a different kind of leadership podcast. Brought to you by SAP, the world's largest provider of enterprise application software. SAP engineers solutions to help companies become best-run businesses by transforming industries, growing economies, lifting up societies, and sustaining our environment. Because it's the best-run businesses that make the world run better. And now, your host, Jennifer Morgan. Hi everyone, it's Jennifer Morgan here. Welcome to the first episode of A Call to Lead, a podcast about the paths that leaders take to the top and what it takes to lead in the 21st century. A lot of people have asked me why. Why do a podcast? Why spend time on something like this amidst all the other demands of running a global business? The truth is I've learned so much from the leaders above and around me on my own journey, and I continue to seek out leaders to learn from today. So why not share some of those lessons, right? We started A Call to Lead as an annual event. It's grown into this amazing world-class summit, and we've hosted everyone from former presidents to some of the most well-known CEOs in business, and they all come to share their lessons about leadership. But it's historically been behind closed doors and with a small group of people, and I thought, why not share these stories more broadly? So the goal is to keep it very real, keep it authentic, have some fun, and most of all, share some of those leadership moments that happen off stage when nobody's watching. And to also talk about challenges and struggles that leaders go through that maybe you haven't read about and that might help you find your own call to lead. So for my first guest, I wanted to begin with my friend, Ariana Huffington. You might know her in her current incarnation as the fearless warrior for sleep and wellness, or maybe as the author of more than a dozen books, or as one of the original pioneers of digital content. What do I love about Ariana? Well, I met her a few years ago when we appeared in an event together. And when you leave your first conversation with Ariana, you feel like you've met your new best friend. She just makes you feel so special. She's got incredible stories. She's got a wicked sense of humor. She hangs around with some really cool and interesting people. And I like to say she's a collector and connector of people. She's just awesome. And I've been able to spend a lot of time with her. I've been very fortunate to get to know her and her family. I've met many wonderful people in her life. And I can't wait to have Ariana share with us some of the stories that maybe the world hasn't yet heard about her. So let's have some fun with Ariana. So excited to be here today in Las Vegas with my friend Ariana Huffington. We just finished a fun keynote together at HR Tech. And I want to talk a little bit about your stories and maybe some of the stories people don't yet know about you. So usually when you when you interview somebody, you might start off with, I'm here talking to the CEO of or the author of or the founder of. You know what? Like there is no one title that describes you. What title would you use to describe what you do and everything you've done? That's such a great question, and I'm so happy to be here with you, and I'm so happy you are doing this podcast series. Thank you. You have a whole new career ahead of you now. (laughs) So I think when I look at my whole life, um, there is a sort of, um, there is a thread, and ironically, there is a, a Greek mythological character that my name comes from, and that's Ariadne. And um, she was a Cretan princess. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Theseus um, arrived from Athens to slay the Minotaur, 
and many many young men had come before him and perished because they had to go into the labyrinth and slay the minotaur and then they never came out. Um, Ariadne fell in love with him and gave him a thread that would help him, after he slayed the minotaur, find his way out of the labyrinth. So I see myself as a thread bringer, bringing people threads to get out of um, situations we've created in our lives which don't work for us, but mm -hmm. somehow we are stuck. Uh, Thrive is obviously the latest manifestation, but in my, a lot of my previous books as well, you know, Thrive was my 14th book. I've always been very passionate through my own experience, through the hard lessons I learned to help others find a thread through the difficulties in their lives. Because I believe profoundly that when we tap into our own wisdom and strength, we can really transform our lives and achieve without paying the heavy price that we are paying now. That is a great story. And that I think that that describes you really, really well. The other, the thing that I notice about you and that I love about you, among many things, is I was telling you, you're a, you're a collector and connector of people. And that is such an amazing skill because I think that by connecting so many different people, you open people's eyes to the different journeys and lessons and learnings and empathies that, that bring people together. Why are you so good at that? I mean, because you do that really, really well. I love people. I really love connecting with people. And I always thought that there's something interesting about everyone. And um, sometimes when I first moved to New York from London, you know, I would sit at a New York dinner party next to somebody who appeared really boring. Mm -hmm. And I would challenge myself to find what was interesting about him or her. And there was always something interesting. And I always preferred to listen yeah. than to talk. Now, you said something. You have clearly been a teacher um, of, of many different things. But you just said, you talked about listening. I believe that the best leaders have to be even better students. Do you believe that? And what do you do to learn? Because I mean, having written all the books you've written, all the businesses that you have, have successfully been part of, how do you continue to learn? You're so right. I think being lifelong learners mm -hmm. is key, both for leaders, but for everyone, yeah. because the, the pace of change has so accelerated that if we, if we don't continuously learn, um, we are going to miss where the world is going. And I really profoundly believe that the greatest gift of leadership is being able to tap into the zeitgeist mm -hmm. yes. and know where the world is going and see the icebergs about to hit the Titanic mm -hmm. before they hit the Titanic. Yeah. And that's why the work we're doing together around well-being and refueling ourselves is so key because when you're running on empty, you're operating on survival, on short-term goals, and you're going to miss the big trends. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How do you, because Ariana, you've had great foresight um, in your career. What gives you that foresight? What do you do to, to, to get that foresight and to learn? Like, to, like today, you're very, very busy. You've got this incredible business that you're running. How do you learn today? So we have, um, we have a thread among um, a few of my leaders at Thrive Global that we call Zeitgeist. And we, every day, we send each other articles, things we read that we see as part of the zeitgeist. And I make sure that over the weekend, I read them all. 
you know, during the week, you know how our lives are. Yes. I may not have time to read. I love actually having my office print them for me because mm -hmm. I love underlining. Okay, okay. And then out of these things come talking points for new speeches. Like, you know, that's how the Elon Musk story um, came about. Like in that Zeitgeist yes. thread, there was Elon Musk giving an interview to the New York Times um, saying how I'm exhausted. I've been working 120 yeah. hours a week, etc. We saw this as a teachable moment in the Zeitgeist of a major leader, an innovator, a visionary. Yes. Who was actually... And Neanderthal, when it came to how to manage human energy, it's kind of ironic yes. because he's a pioneer in managing energy that yeah. drives our cars. Right. That is. But when it comes to managing human energy, he's not connecting the dots between the way he's running on empty and he's undermining his company that he loves, you know, by tweeting something false that he had the funding to get take the the company private that has launched an SEC investigation by berating analysts on an earnings call and having to apologize in the next earnings call by having his chief accounting officer resign over the mess so the signs are very clear yeah yeah but unfortunately a lot of leaders are still not seeing the signs and not responding so i feel by identifying um, where the zeitgeist is going. Part of what we're doing in our media platform at Thrive is intervene and take a stand and help amplify the teachable moment. Yes. You have never, speaking of taking a stand, you've never shied away from taking a stand or maybe um, changing your mind and taking a stand. I mean, you were well known as a Republican earlier on in your life and you know, you've changed your views and you're unapologetic about that. And I think in today's world, people are probably afraid to, to you know, number one, it's, it's hard to talk about your beliefs and in the incredibly divisive world that we're in today without maybe somebody on the other side not engaging in a really great dialogue, but more kind of telling you why you're wrong. You've never had a problem, you know, being open, being vulnerable to changing your mind and, and being and, and discussing that. And I, and I see that in how you bring different people together. Do you think leaders today are bold enough and brave enough to, and even vulnerable enough, I'd say, to do what you've done around another topic as an example? So what I feel is going on is when leaders completely identify with their jobs, um, it makes them risk averse. And we see that in politics, we see it in business. When you believe that your job is who you are, let's say if you believe that being president of SAP is who defines you in its entirety, it's like you begin to be afraid of your shadow. You begin to be afraid of any false move that might yes. put your job in jeopardy, real or imaginary. Right. So for me, it's been a constant process of recognizing that I'm much more than my job, that we all are. Yes. You know, um, it's so funny because I was doing Super Soul Sunday with Oprah, and she asked the same question of everybody, what do you know for sure? And I said, well, what I know for sure is that who you are, Oprah, who I am, who everybody is, however magnificent, however huge the job or the success is much less magnificent than who we really are inside. Mm -hmm. And I really profoundly believe that. And when you believe that, it's very liberating. Yes, when you let go of fear. When you let go of fear, it's like there's nothing that can be taken away from you. Yes. 
in terms of your position in the world um, that would destroy you. That's yes, right. there are things that can be taken away from you in terms of your children or the people you love, but that's different. I think what you are talking about is how can we take stands and speak our minds even if it might put our position in the world at risk. I believe when you have when you have fear, you're you're giving power to somebody else to kind of control your own happiness, destiny, everything. Exactly. And right? also you can never operate at your best. No. No. Because often uh, some of our best ideas as leaders are not obvious. I mean, when you started working with Thrive, you took a risk. Yeah. You had to convince other leaders in your company uh, that this was a good thing for SAP. You know, if you were more fear-driven, you might just play it safe. Right, right. You know, there's so much you can do within, uh, you know, yeah. coloring within the lines. Exactly. That when to go outside... You need to be a risk taker. And I to be it. a risk taker, you cannot be constantly looking over your shoulder for approval. Okay, so speaking of fearless, take us inside as much as you can, obviously. What was, what was it like with what was going on with Uber? You were, you were very much the face of the company, the face of that board with everything that was happening in the press with, you know, the former, with Travis moving on, with a new CEO moving in. You were fearless in your opinions of what was happening with the company, not just within the company, but out in the press. How did you go about handling something like that? Well, what happened um, is that I was the only woman on the board. And so when, um, when the problem started, um, when Susan Fowler's blog post came out about sexual harassment within the company, you know, I was asked to speak at the all hands, kind of representing the board. And as you can imagine the main job of the board at that time was to reassure the employees that we were taking this seriously, that we were going to hold uh, management's feet to the fire, which is exactly the phrase I used at the all hands. And also I went further because I had seen the problems with the culture even before, and we had actually started bringing thrive in a pro bono way into the company to help with the burnout problems. Because I, given that this is my life at the moment, you know, it wasn't hard to identify what was happening. Um, so I also said that one of the problems at Uber was what's happening with many companies, especially in Silicon Valley, around worshiping top performers. You know, if you're a top performer, that you are delivering results, a lot is forgiven you. Yes. And that creates a very toxic culture. And so I also said in that first all hands that no brilliant jerks will be I allowed. I love that. I love the term brilliant jerk because everybody knows exactly what it means. <laughs> no. Right? And we've all had some around <laughs> us. And I know I had a brilliant jerk at the Huffington Post. <laughs> and I remember it took me much longer than it should have taken me to fire him because he was so good at his job. The fact that he was destroying the culture became secondary until I woke up. So um, I think I spent also a lot of time listening. Mm -hmm. I literally, right after that, all hands and for weeks after, um, I would book office hours mm -hmm. and talk to people mm -hmm. um, privately. Yes. And then when the investigation with Eric Calder was launched in the presence of a of a lawyer, it was it was an incredible teachable moment for the culture. I learned an enormous amount, and then of course chairing the selection committee that brought us Dara was also fascinating. You know, to bring yeah. a leader um, as he has proven to be yeah. 
um, who would uh, not just continue building the business, which is a hugely successful hyper-growth business, but would also create a thriving culture. So how did you, get, when, you th when you think about what you were looking for at that time, I mean, I think everybody knew that culture was, was that top of the list? Like it somebody is. who could really bring and unite people together behind Absolutely. the vision? Absolutely, that, that was top of the list. And, um, and I think in Dara, we found somebody who can do that and who also has that great quality of being unflappable. It's one of the qualities of leadership that I love. Um, and when you're at Uber, you have to be able to do that because things happen every day that could be defined as crises. You right. know, London takes away our license. Right. <laughs> or Brazil is threatening to suspend our license. Or New York limits the numbers of Uber. You know, it's yeah. like it's constant. 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 And, and some leaders are comfortable um, with that level of um, constant crisis, and some are not. I think for me, it's like knowing how to be in the eye of the hurricane. I'm fascinated by that. And I don't know if you've ever seen the eye of the hurricane. You know, what it, it looks really like exists. it's calm. It's calm. It's like this calm thing. It's like it's this amazing. calm yes. center yes. within the hurricane. Yes. I think it's an amazing metaphor. It is. Because that center exists. It exists yes. in um, hurricanes and it exists, it exists in our own lives. And if we can be there, it's unbelievably powerful. I think great leaders can become, are able to become the best version of themselves in a time of crisis. Yes, exactly. If they can find that place. Yes. Or they can be destroyed. What is your today with where you are today in your life? What What's your biggest struggle today? What do you struggle to, to be better at, to, to, to grasp onto and understand better? So my biggest struggle that I haven't been able to master is my irrational anxiety around my daughters. Really? Yes. Like, <laughs> I know I laugh at it, but I, because I talk a lot about how don't live your life in a constant state of negative fantasies. You know, I quote Montaigne who said, there are many terrible things in my life, but most of them never happened. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to my two daughters, literally, I'm working on it, promise, I'm working. But like, I text one of them and I don't get a text back within five minutes. You worry. Immediately I worry. So um, I'm working on it. Okay. What do they tell you? Do they give you advice? Oh, they, 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 they just make so much fun of me. You have no <laughs> idea. It's like... <laughs> you have a, an incredible group of women around you, your daughters and your sister Agape. Tell me a little bit about that relationship. Yes, we have our little tribe, as I call it. You know, I'm incredibly close to my daughters who are in their 20s. Um, but we have this amazing relationship. I feel very blessed. Um, you know, we had dinner, the three of us, last night. We're, I'm back in L.A. and we're having dinner on Saturday. You know, often kind of 20-somethings don't want to have dinner with their moms, yeah. but we, we have that deep closeness. Yeah. And um, I'm very, very lucky to have a sister that I'm very, very close to. And a, and a group of friends, and Jen, you're among them, that I feel really close, that I feel... I can pick up the phone um, if I'm going through something difficult and they can do the same. And I think it goes beyond how often you see each other. It's that connection. I love bringing people together, whether it's to fall in love. You know, I'm kind of passionate about connecting people. Yes. I'm like, um, I have my own basically online dating. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, really, Adam Grant and I have created a list 
of really um, yes if you if you oh, know about anybody this. so we, I do I want to hear about this he Sheryl Sandberg and I were having dinner in London one night and we we're talking about how we have all these friends who don't want to go online dating but they are single and they are wonderful so Adam said let's create a list and put them all together yes. and uh, I thought nothing would happen of it. You know, mm-hmm. we're all rather busy. Yeah, who's right. going to create the right. list? And three days later, Adam sent me the list. He had put together the first people we mentioned. And the rule is that he or I need to know the person or, or the person we know needs to know the person. Okay. So it's not many... One or two degrees of separation. One or two degrees of okay. separation. So we can vouch for them. And, uh, and our promise is that you may not have the chemistry with that person. Mm-hmm. Nobody can predict that, but you would like them as a friend. I love and that. that's what we do. So and how is it working so far? Amazing. Really? We've had a lot of successes. I love this. And so if you have any single okay. friends you want to add to the I'm gonna list, add to let the me list. know. I'm going to add to the list. Okay, <laughs> I love it. Who have been in your life who have been some of the most impactful people? And it can be anything. It could be, it could be in your love life. It can be in your professional life. Who are some of the people who just made such an impact on who you are? Well, first of all, my mother, because she was fearless. Mm-hmm. She always made me feel that I should aim for the stars and try anything I wanted to achieve, whatever my dreams were. And at the same time that she wouldn't love me any less if I failed. Yes, yes. So it was this combination of risk-taking and not being afraid of failing, which very often stops a lot of women from trying things. Because there are never any guarantees. And if you want guarantees, it's going to stop you from doing what you dream of and what you are passionate about. I mean, I find that we thrive. You know, when I really, really wanted to launch this company, I mean, you know, I left a very successful global media brand to launch a startup. I remember you told me this story. You told me a story about a conversation you had with Cheryl. Yes, and you know, it, it was hard. Yeah. I mean, I knew that was what my heart wanted. I knew that should be my next chapter. But I was leaving behind something I loved, and that was super successful, which was like um, easy. Yeah. Because you know how it is. It's like it was... You yeah, had it all figured out. It you was knew maintenance. It. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And... So um, I remember literally two days before I was set to make the announcement mm-hmm. and we had an interview with the Wall Street Journal yeah. plan that we were giving them the news. I called Cheryl and I told her that I was afraid of this and she said, well, close your eyes, take a deep breath and jump. It's <laughs> good advice. <laughs> you know, there are certain moments yeah. in life that you can't figure out That's analytically. Right. right. You just That's have right. to follow your heart yes. and jump. So let's talk about a little bit about Thrive. So it is now two, year, two yes, years old, Yes, it will be right? two years old, November 30th. It's we had amazing. our launch party and you were there. I, I have know. this great picture. And so much has happened since you in your then. leather jacket. That's right. I, at the- I, I, <laughs> you've, you've built a great team. Um, and congratulations, you, you've, had, you've gotten a, a lot of different funding. You've built and brought in some incredible talent. And things are really humming now. What's next with Thrive? What are you really focused on right now? So what we're focused on right now is building a great product suite, including you know the product we're building with you. Yes. Um, and the success factors and the work-life um, yes. suite of products. That's incredibly important to us because it's now all about scaling. Like we have developed all our IP around um, 
corporate trainings, behavior change micro steps that we've been using um, throughout the world in hundreds of trainings with big companies like you, like Accenture, like JP Morgan, like the Hilton Hotels. We've developed this media platform, which is growing fast. Um, it now has over 30,000 contributors, mm -hmm. as well as our own staff. It's in India and Greece and uh, going to the Middle East soon. And now the next uh, priority, which is why we raised our Series B, is to productize everything. Yes. Because as you know, you cannot scale the right. workshops. So we always want to keep the workshops as a part of the business. And they are really powerful. Because they're very powerful. As you know, a lot of your sales team has experienced them. It's very powerful. And I believe there's always going to be room for a live experience. Absolutely. No matter how technological we are. But I think for scaling, it has to be through product. And um, that's why my priority was to hire an amazing head of product and an amazing CTO. And I can't tell you how thrilled I am that they're both women. And they've launched our San Francisco office and building a great engineering team. So that's the next priority. I'm excited because what, what you have helped so many individuals, right? Whether it be at Huffington Post and now at Thrive, tell their stories and make this a topic that people are embracing for their own personal journeys. But I'm excited about how now we can work with businesses in the enterprise because the enterprise is a collection of people, which yes. you do so well. Collecting people who want to become the best version of themselves, which then allows business and companies to become the best version of themselves. And I think we're just getting started. And I think as we go into boardrooms in the future, you're not only going to be looking at the financial results of the last quarter, you're going to be looking at the leading indicators of the next quarter, which is going to be the wellness and productivity mm. of the workforce, the engagement of the workforce, the retention, the trust, all of that tied to the business. And that, I think, is going to be the future because if companies master that, their futures are going to be so, so bright. So I'm excited with you to use the incredible thought leadership and platform combined with our technology to take the enterprise to a whole new place. Me too, and I think the fact that we are so aligned around the recognition that human capital is going to be the most important capital of the enterprise, much more important than financial capital because it's on that human capital that all the key business metrics, right. like recruitment, attrition, productivity, engagement, yes. ultimately depend. Yes. You focus on the people, the numbers will follow. Exactly, I love that. So Ariana, I wanna ask you about, um, we've talked a lot about leadership and how it's really evolving and kind of how great leaders um, have followers. That's the one thing all great leaders have in common. How do you see leadership style changing in today's world? Like what do leaders need to be embodying or doing differently today that's different from say five, 10 years ago? And how has that impacted how you lead? Well, the biggest way it has impacted how I lead, and I think that's important for all of us, is to get more comfortable with incompletions. You know, any leader ends the day with a bunch of incompletions. And if you don't end your day with a bunch of incompletions, your job isn't challenging enough or interesting enough. So, and this is actually one of our cultural values at Thrive, the, the goal and what I've gotten better at is to relentlessly prioritize. Like, what are the three big priorities of today? And as long as these have been handled, I'm completely comfortable 
declaring an end to my day so that I can sleep, recharge, and start fresh the next yes. day. But before, I used to be compulsive about having to answer every email, mm -hmm. handle everything, and you know that's impossible. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you can stay up all night, and it's, uh, and it's still impossible because more things would be coming. Totally, totally. <laughs> so creating that uh, comfort with prioritizing and being, as we call it, comfortable with incompletions yeah. is for me a key. Relentless focus on the few things that matter. Yes. Ariana, you've been really gracious in sharing your own stories, kind of when you had your wake-up call, um, or other stories that impacted your life. Tell us a story about you that maybe people don't know, as maybe, maybe during a time that was um, maybe a crisis where you found your calm in the storm. <laughs> or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe that's a better one. Uh, so uh, my, my first book was an unexpected big success. Mm -hmm. uh, my second book, um, which was on the crisis in political leadership, I was 28 years old. I sat down and wrote this book. Mm -hmm. And it was rejected by 36 publishers. By that time, I had run out of money, you know, out of the money mm -hmm. I had made mm -hmm. um, from my first book. Mm -hmm. But more important, I was having sort of an existential crisis, like, well, maybe the first book was a fluke, and I'm not really a writer, and I need to get another job. And, and I remember walking down St. James Street in London, where I lived at the time, and something made me walk into Barclays Bank. <laughs> and I asked to see the manager. <laughs> And I asked for what the Brits call an overdraft, which is a loan. Yeah. But I had no assets. And, um, and for some reason, this manager gave me the loan. Really? Yes, and his name is Ian Bell, and I still send him a holiday card. <laughs> Seriously? Because he changed my life. You know, by giving wow. me that loan, he made it possible for me to keep it together until a few more rejections, and finally my book was published. Wow. But it was also like a, a confirmation that often sort of in your darkest moments, mm -hmm. like in fairy tales, you know, when yeah. you, um, you have the hero or the heroine lost in a dark forest and then all these little helpful animals come to help them get out of the forest. Well, I think in that case, um, it's almost like Ian Bell was um, somebody who was really a helpful animal disguised as a bank manager. Yeah. <laughs> to help me through this moment. That's amazing. And it just goes to show you never know the impact that you can have on somebody's life. Yes. Whether it be that example, whether it be listening to somebody. Um, it's just... Giving you, somebody hope yes. at a dark moment. It's yes. just amazing the difference it makes. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that with us. Okay, Ariana, I'm going to ask you a couple questions and just give me your quick answers. Favorite food? Oh, um, cappuccino, single shot mm -hmm. um, with a straw, so it takes longer I to drink. I saw you drinking with a straw <laughs> earlier. So it just because you can enjoy it more. Yes, you enjoy it more. I love that. Okay. You're less likely to spill it on uh, your dress. That's good, that's good. And tell me where, if you can go anywhere in the world to completely decompress and relax, where do you go? Oh, without any doubt, there's a little island in Greece called Antiparos. Okay. Uh, which is absolutely gorgeous, but not overrun with tourists, and where a lot of my Greek friends have homes. Okay. 
and um, but yet it has all the beautiful restaurants and little shops and all the things you love in Greek islands. I love it. I love it. All right. Thanks for sharing uh, and being so open with us today. It was always a pleasure to spend time with you. Thank you so much, Jan. I'm Jennifer Morgan, and you've been listening to A Call to Lead. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please make sure to leave a rating and review if you haven't yet. I really want to hear your thoughts. And for more great content like this podcast, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. See you next week.